You're listening to Ari Snapshots, where each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. Welcome to RE Snapshots. This is our first episode back for 2023. So I hope you've had a lovely break over the summer period. On the podcast today, we're catching up with Dr. Hira Shawcat. Hira worked with Ari doing her PhD with Ari Director Ken Flower as one of her supervisors. And she's now completed her studies and uh, is now working as a soil science researcher at University of Western Australia. So we thought it was a good opportunity to catch up with Hira and hear about how her thesis submission went and learn about what's next for her with her career. She joins me now. How are you going, Hira? Hi, Jess. Thank you for having me back. I'm very well and how are you and your new year? (laughs) I'm really good it's so lovely to see you here and we're yeah often when PhD students finish they you know have to go to different countries to continue their work and career but you are staying on campus so we're so lucky to have you stay in Perth with us at UWA. So you're on Ari Snapshots the podcast uh, back in 2021 and we talked about your PhD project and your first paper on 3D mapping of soil moisture. I thought it'd be good just to refresh everyone on uh, that work because it was a while since we chatted about it. Can you take us back and just give us an overview of uh, what you focused on in your PhD here? Yes, so my PhD was focused on mapping soil moisture in agriculture broad acre farming system. And my first paper was actually for developing a methodology which is more efficient and give more information to the farmers to make decisions about their farming practices. To give an overview of my whole thesis, which is actually the main uh, crux of the whole uh, methodology, is that in Western Australia we have broadacre farms and our broadacre farms have a very high variability in the soil in the whole area. So this high variability means that our soil moisture availability, which is just from the rains, is very different in one farm. So currently in Australia, most farmers are relying on the point sensor measurements. That means that they have some sensors which they insert into the soil and whatever information that sensor gives from that very specific point, uh, our method is to consider that the whole farms look the same, which is not a very um, accurate measurement because again, the variability of our lands is very huge. So we tried to develop a methodology where farmer can actually see the whole farm and the map of their whole water map of their whole farm. So for this purpose, we use an electromagnetic induction uh, sensor, which is which actually based on EM38, but it is more robust and that from technology wise it is more efficient to be used Uh, the first thing is it doesn't need to be calibrated on the field and the second thing is like you can measure your whole farm in just a one survey and secondly it also gives like more than one uh, depths of measurements either you can have three or four measurement depths from a one survey depending upon your sensor so we use this sensor to map the whole land and then we develop some um, uh, calibrations for water uh, based on the difference in soil textures and we use those calibration on the um, numbers which are sensor extracted from the soil maps. This gives us a whole map of the whole farm and having this kind of very detailed map will help the farmers in their PC and agriculture practices like where to apply their herbicides, where to apply their seeds and everything. So um, it uh, can really advance our PC and agriculture system based on 
more detailed water mapping. Yeah, that makes total sense. And uh, let's talk about, you did these tests with the electromagnetic induction at different depths to investigate the soil variability and you did it at two different sites. Can you walk us through in a bit more detail uh, what your findings were at those two different sites that you uh, did the measurements at? So our first study was actually to develop a methodology of measuring the soil water status in a broad acre farms. And in our second uh, case study, we wanted to validate our methodology on our more unknown lands with the different kinds of variability. And the second thing was like to find out methodology of mitigation practices for our degraded lands because in drain-fed areas, due to removal of forest and uh, uh, secondary salinity because of removal of native vegetation has caused a lot of land degradation and it requires a landscape level mitigation practices like afforestation but it is not possible for our farmers to actually displace their farming practices and grow the trees so some market driven strategies can be implemented which can complement the current farming um, scale so farmer can have some marginal income from their difficult areas where it's difficult to manage their uh, agriculture practices and at the same time they don't have to displace their normal agriculture practices. So for this purpose uh, we tried to map the Western Australian soil for uh, planting native Western Australian Leptospermum nitens shrub. So this shrub is um, first of all it's a native Australian Western Australian shrub and this is for generating um, high-value medicinal uh, honey, which is commonly known as manuka honey. So the nectar of these shrubs is actually a source of manuka honey for the honeybees. And um, for this purpose, we selected like a very deep sandy soil, and then uh, there was a area in South Cochrane, uh, which was a variable uh, land. Both of these lands were like marginal lands. They have very low fertility. So it was a good case study for checking the leptospermum. So we carried out our EMI maps to actually see the variability of the land. And then we checked the survival and growth rate of uh, leptospermum night and shrubs in those areas. So using the EMI maps, first of all, we check the variability of the land and then we develop our water maps as I discussed before. And then we correlated the service, uh, shrub survival and the growth rate. And the data from that actually comes from the drone information. And um, correlating and checking that how much uh, shrub survival and growth rate is in both of these kind of lands uh, give us an idea that um, either these shrub can survive in these lands and uh, can farmer actually incorporate these shrubs in their lands for the future. And yeah, what did you find in terms of, you know, the survival rates of those shrubs and, and you know, uh, whether it's viable for farmers to consider planting natives in that sort of non-viable agricultural land? Yes, so one of our sites was a deep sandy soil. So this day, deep sandy soil, as we all know, is a very low fertility and it has a very low water retention capacity. So bo- on both of these sites, Leptospermum nitens, being a native shrub, was very hardy, so it survived very well on both of these sites. But then again, due to the water availability in a medium texture soil or a heavy texture soil is more as compared to the sandy soil. So there were higher survival rate in a medium textured and heavy textured soil areas as compared to the deep sand soils uh, but at the same time even though the survival rate and the growth rate was higher in those land uh, in those areas uh, these shrubs uh, performed equally well in a deep sandy soil so most 
of the agricultural land where you have like a, a medium textured soils it is more favorable for the agricultural practices but then in our broad acre farms there are always patches of land which which have very high salinity or which have like sandy areas so using electromagnetic induction maps you can actually see where you have the possibility of establishing those native shrubs and um, can use that land for uh, re reversing the uh, land degradation effects by using these shrubs. It was very interesting to see that um, soil moisture is again one of the most limiting factor uh, uh, for the shrub survival but at the same time like um, the further study aspect is to really check the effect of soil moisture on the nectar production of these plants because at the end of the day it's, it's, it's the nectar which can give farmers some marginal income to generate the manuka honey so this is one of the aspects that needed to be further um, like explored and uh, it will be very interesting for the farmers if they just do an EMI uh, survey in the dry season that will give them the variability of the whole land and then if they do an EMI survey after their rains they can that can help them in decide uh, a locally managed area like where they can actually grow their crops and where they can actually have their shrub plantations in the future. Yeah, you can have a really detailed overview of the soil moisture profile from doing that. How accessible is uh, getting these EMI maps done? Is it commercially available? How does it compare to the current soil moisture probes that farmers are using? So our study was at just like a research level. That was a case study. Older EMI 38 is like very much available around, but uh, definitely there sh I, I don't know really that if there is commercially available in Australia, Western Australia. I know there is a one consultant who has some of this instrument and he maps the soil variability for the farmers but this is definitely an area where where our farmers can look into to to plan for their for their technologies that can help in their better decision making yeah yeah i think uh talking about it and the fact that you get a better level of accuracy and there's real application and you know potentially uh, the ability to make more profit from yeah things like growing plants which could lead to manuka honey production as you've uh, investigated in your research project i think yeah farmers uh, and agronomists could definitely maybe look into accessing that technology agronomists definitely could be yeah looking at making that a, a part of their toolkit i guess that they offer to growers so i think it's good to be talking about it now here we're going to uh, shift gears because we've given a good overview so far but is there anything any other final things you wanted to say about your phd project uh, that you wanted to leave growers and agronomists and other researchers listening with i feel that after doing this project that uh, the gap which is like um, using the point sensor for the moisture values is, is really not enough. I do understand that we have like global scale level maps of water and these things but we should consider this that all of these maps do not actually contain the regional variations and definitely at this stage we need further data which using these kind of maps and using this kind of technology at the regional scale and the local scale can generate these data to actually improve those global maps that you don't have to keep on doing these surveys in the future but at the first stage you really need this data to be generated using these uh, kind of maps at our farm levels uh, for the future um, advanced decision making yeah
Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, hopefully there's more uptake in this technology here because it definitely sounds like it is really valuable. Now, you're working in soil science, as we mentioned, now at UWA. So congratulations on that appointment. You've been in there all a few months now. So tell us a bit about your role and, and what you're working on now. Thanks, Jess, for the compliments. <laughs> so currently I'm working in the soil science department of UW School of Agriculture and Environment, and I'm working with a very diverse group, which are like, which have like very senior soil scientists. And I'm working with emerita Professor Lynn Abbott, who is actually like a kind of I don't. I would say like a really uh, powerhouse of soil science kind of thing because she has so much knowledge and experience. So the project I'm working is a soil science challenge a project which UWA has won the grant, like a national grant. And um, the main uh, objective of this challenge is to actually really look into the fundamental science of soil quality. Um, because as in the future, like we, our farmers do rely on chemical fertilizers, and um, there is always um, a concept of like these fertilizers are not really enough to provide all the needs. And in the future, like the supply of fertilizer could be a problem in the future as well, because this is a finite source anyway. So the objective of this uh, soil science challenge is actually to look at the micro level, what are the processes are going on into the soil that actually relates to the soil quality and how these uh, microorganisms in the soil actually deals with the nutrient cycling and um, working to improve the soil quality and provide the, uh, the required nutri nutrients to the plant. At the same time, there is a lot of uh, talk about uh, using uh, our agricultural lands for carbon sequestration and re reducing the greenhouse gas emissions. So this group is actually going to really find out the evidence and justification of doing those uh, biological practices that do they actually add value in, in these concepts or not. And uh, after generating some new information and some new data, we will be like simulating our farm, our farm conditions in, in different models and really try to uh, generate some advanced practices, which will definitely be based on a very basic soil amendment, but they mm, could have some economic value and some soil quality value for our farmers. Yeah. Very important work here. Well, congratulations, and yeah, we look forward to seeing what the findings are in that space as well, because obviously that's very topical and important uh, to be working on too. So thank you so much, Hira. Thanks, Jess, for having me back. Yeah.